Hey, serious privacy enthusiasts, ready to ace your AI data privacy game? Oh, you bet, Kate. Dive into the world of TrustSark's Nimity Research, your go-to for staying on top of regulatory developments in AI and privacy. Seriously, Nimity Research maintains a massive privacy and regulatory database featuring expert guidance and analysis from legal and privacy pros. So save time on privacy research, cut your compliance timeline, and reduce costs with Nimity Research. Get your regulatory research and insight at your fingertips with a free trial. So get ahead in privacy compliance and start that free trial today. Go to trustark.com slash nimity dash free dash trial. You're listening to Serious Privacy by Trustark. Please welcome our hosts, Paul Breitbarth and Kay Royal. Despite the corona crisis, the California Attorney General has announced the enforcement of the CCPA will go ahead as planned later this year. However, in Brazil, the Senate on April 3rd adopted legislation to postpone the entry into force of the Lei Geral de Proteção de Dados until the 1st of January 2021. Enforcement is not foreseen until August next year. But postponed or not, the new omnibus data protection legislation in Brazil will have a major impact on companies doing business in the largest country in Latin America. Reason enough to invite two Brasileiros to our program today and hear all about the LGPD. My name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. Joining us today are Rodrigo Gomez, who is a lawyer in Rio de Janeiro, as well as Fabricio da Mota Alves, who is one of the representatives of the Federal Senate appointed to the National Council of Data Protection in Brazil. But indeed, let's ask both gentlemen to hear a bit more about their backgrounds. Rodrigo, maybe you would like to go first. Hello, all. Again, I'd like to thank you for the invitation. It's a great honor for me to, to be here talking with you guys. And first of all, I'd like to apologize for my English. I'm, I will do my best to, to communicate in English because I'm not native, but I apologize for that. Uh, speaking about, talking about my background, briefly, um, I'm a liar, like you said, and I'm also a doctorate student. Great. And uh, my, uh, in the subject of my research for the doctorate, the main subject is the uh, legitimate interest for data protection laws. And we also have legitimate interest here, the LGPD. So I plan to, to develop all the uh, thesis around that. I'm already doing that, but not concluded yet. And I'm also... Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, uh, I'll do a great dialogue with GDPR because it's also there legitimate interest so i'll have to go deep in gdpr as well so my subject for the doctorate for the phd like to say i'm also a teacher at some universities here uh, and i also the law and technology coordinator at the brazilian bar association school in rio de janeiro so i have uh, nowadays uh, one of my main occupations is teaching i teach all subjects regarding law and technology, especially LGPD. It's our new law. You mentioned before that the, the main focus right now. That's it. That's great. Fabricio, okay, up well, to you. Thank you. Thank you all for this opportunity. It's very, very good to, to be here. 
I also uh, I, I do have a podcast myself, so I believe in the power of podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here to disseminate all this knowledge, all this information. As you said, I'm a lawyer and I'm also a representative of the Federal Senate in Brazil, nominated to, to our National Council of Data Protection, which is part of our DPA. Uh, Brazilian DPA has some, some bodies and one of them is the National Council, which is a consultative council. And I also, I'm also a teacher in data protection uh, here in Brazil in some institutions, some universities as, as well. I'm a member of our Federal Bar Association uh, in the Committee of Data Protection. So data protection is my business, data protection is my actual and only uh, way of life. And I, we, we are trying here in Brazil to to make this subject something more cultural than ever, because we, we don't have this kind of view. We are beginning, we are in baby steps. So we count on your help, all of you. Uh, as I told Paul, uh, I'm his student as well. That's something important to say. <laughs> so uh, I, had, I had the pleasure to, to go through the, the DPO course uh, back in Brussels, the Brussels campus of Maastricht University. And uh, it was a, a very good, very good opportunity, very enrichment time. Well, that's it. Let's, let's go to the subject. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you both for introducing yourselves. And I think we couldn't have wished for better guests with a better background from two sides of Brazil, Rio on the one hand, Sao Paulo on the other hand. So that's, uh, that's great. Thank you for joining us again. Okay, take it away. Okay, so if you've listened to our podcast, and I never assume that someone has, I do an unexpected question for the guests, and I never warn you what's coming, but I was going to ask what your favorite Halloween candy is because I happen to have chocolate bunny sitting here in front of me. My husband just bought me. But instead, I'm going to ask, what is your favorite pleasure food that you're going to right now during the quarantine? We all talked about how we're restricted from restaurants and bars and things like that. But I know that I have found a go-to food that I normally would not be eating. And so my go-to food has been these fantastically fattening gluten-free cupcakes. And they're horrible and I shouldn't be eating them. What is your favorite illicit go-to food during the quarantine? Go, Rodrigo. You go first. You go first. <laughs> That's a tough question. Uh, let's see. Uh, for me, I think it, there is a supermarket here around the corner and that they sell uh, custom-made. They, they, they make by hand uh, a pasta with truffle. And I, you can buy by the, the way pounds, like you say in the US. So I sometimes buy the, those small portions with purple inside and I just love it with wine. For me, it's, uh, uh. it's, been, a, it's been one of the ways I'm, I'm trying to keep my sanity okay, but I'm, I'm failing miserably <laughs> on that. <laughs> but it helps sometimes. And also port wine, port wine. Port wine. Port wine. Oh. I'm drinking a lot nice. as well. Okay. Well, that's a, a very, actually, that's a very easy question, you know, because in quarantine, uh, well, in the first, in the first two weeks, I was, I was actually losing some weight because I was all alone and I don't cook well. So, and nobody was delivering at that time. So I, I didn't have so much to eat. 
But my wife and son, they came back to my house and she's pregnant, so she's very hungry all the time. She's demanding a lot of candies, a lot of sugar. So uh, <laughs> let me say that today, one of our favorite, <laughs> our, our favorite food, fatty food, is Nutella, which is a very wonderful chocolate, chocolate cream. So that's it, Nutella with bread, with everything. No, with fruit, with cookies. Uh, you can put Nutella everywhere. Everywhere, so everywhere. That's the tale. <laughs> that's, that's the enemy today. <laughs> I love it, Paul. Well, my guilty pleasure at the moment are the Haribo Gold Bears. Oh, um, I used to get them from a great aunt when I was a kid, and I've always liked them, and I probably will always like them. But I also do a lot of Indonesian cooking at the moment. With more time, um, more have being forced to stay at home, there is more time to cook. So. I'm trying out my grandmother's recipes that she left behind, all handwritten in her very neat teacher's handwriting, trying to rediscover what she liked to cook. Oh, that is fantastic. And the other day he was talking about a meal that he had made that sounded wonderful. Meanwhile, I was noshing on chocolate and cupcakes. So, Paul, on to the substantive matter of the podcast. I'll let you take it away. Absolutely. Well, let's let's dive immediately into the latest news, because it seems that the LGPD won't kick in 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 August, as we had expected. It already didn't kick in in February, as was the original plan. But now it seems it's going to be postponed until next year. What can you tell us about the legislation that is that was adopted by the Senate last week and I, I believe is now before Congress before final adoption? Yes, OK. <clears throat> We had actually we had some some movements here in Brazil since last year. Some sectors of our society were already trying to to push a little bit our politicians to convince them to make some effort in the direction of postponing the legislation. So this is something really we say in Portuguese taboo. How do you say in English? The same? Yes. So taboo because everybody was doing that as if it was something criminal. So it was really, really in the shadows. Nobody was being transparent or even going into the light of day to, to do so. But with the coronavirus situation, with all these crises, many sectors, including some, some of these, these old ones, they came together in order to make a very hard effort to push the situation, make a very good pressure in our sen senators. And it was really, uh, very useful and also effective because uh, we had two, two bills in this uh, very same uh, situation in our House of Representatives since last year. Uh, but, but we had no, no, no bills and no declarations and no speeches and no movements in the Senate. So the Senate was silent uh, about this, uh, this desire of postponing the legislation. But then suddenly we had this strong, very strong situation. We had uh, this bill postponing uh, our LGPD. It's also a bill with a lot of subject, uh, a lot of situation. It's called emergency, uh, emer emergency, how do you say, Rodrigo? The emergency the regime. The, the, the emergency regime for, for private uh, relations. Yes, that's it. Something like this. That's it. It's emergency regime. So it deals with a lot of subjects, 
including LGPD, the final part. It's a little, it's a very bit part of the two, two articles, uh, the, the two, legislation, two the bill, the bill itself. This situation helped all those sectors and some others. And uh, we had uh, some some people say not it has never been confirmed, but some people say that the president of our Supreme Court, Minister Dias Toffoli, Jose Dias Toffoli, uh, was working on with Senator Anastasia Antonio Anastasia, uh, who, who's the, the the one that presented the bill, and then as as it is something planned by Supreme Court and also the Senate, one of the most important senators, uh, which is the, the first vice president of the Senate, Senator Antonio Anastasia. So there is a very strong political uh, links and it was, it was just impossible to do anything different. So I talked to uh, many senators, uh, they asked for advice, and, uh, but in fact, even with all my, uh, my alerts and all my advice, they couldn't do much different because it was something that was coming from some sectors. So it was really a situation of representing, of taking in, into account the need for some sectors of society. So it just passed with uh, almost no discussion, with unanimity, and now uh, the bill is in the House of Representatives, uh, confirmed or it may be uh, changed in some way, but it's almost, uh, we are pretty sure that it's going to be a reality in a few weeks, two or three, three weeks at most. Okay, so that means that indeed the legislation will be postponed until next year um, and that companies will also have more time for compliance because that is, of course, the the, the reverse side that they, they, they can take a bit more time to, to prepare. So what you, you already mentioned there was already a push from companies to get the application date postponed. What are the main concerns that they have? Is it just general compliance because so far there hasn't been a data protection culture? Are there any specific things that they are afraid of? I know it's a big question. So Many of them were worried about financial resource. This, uh, this process, at least in Brazil, it demands a lot of costs. Uh, a lot of time and a lot of human resources as well. Most of these companies, uh, which which are the companies in the front line of the crisis of the the COVID nineteen crisis, so they just needed to halt all the process, everything, because uh, this this kind of process in Brazil, the data protection adequacy, is based as an investment. So everything that is not essential. For these companies are, is going are going through some kind of postponing so this is pretty much the situation and other companies were complaining that we need some guidelines from uh, non-existent uh, dpa they are going through adequacy but we are everybody is looking to gdpr and the european union standards which are good of course but we need some official guidelines, official guidance, and we have none because we don't have a DPA. So these are the two, the two main uh, complaints uh, of these companies. So we'll get back to the DPA in a moment. Rodrigo, I'd, I'd first like to hear also from you because you work with a lot of organizations helping to get them ready for the LGPD. Yeah. What, what concerns do you hear? What, what are they 
concerned about? What are they afraid of uh, apart from the time and money it's going to cost? Yeah, I agree with almost 100% that uh, Fabrizio said. And what I hear in the companies are they are like uh, afraid of two main things in my experience around here with the companies I've been working. The first of them is the, 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 the financial penalty because I'm doing the, my focus is in small and medium business. I don't have any huge multinational clients. I just have medium sized business. And for them, 15, 50 million reais today would be like $10 million approximately, year or less. It's a lot of money and they are afraid that the, the, the press and some articles are talking about that and they say, oh, I don't, I don't want to pay $10 million uh, monetary fine, which is not true because that's the absolute exception. And I think, I think Fabrizio already told that another time. And I hear a lot from people with the deep knowledge about data protection here. I think that the, the maximum penalty will be the exception. And it will, it will take a little time to withhold because the, the authority is not there yet. So it's not the, for me, it's not, it, it shouldn't be the, the main concern. And I think the other, the, the second main concern that I hear a lot is regarding the, the reputation. So I'm doing this, I was doing this for some schools and for some uh, companies that uh, that do medical medical records data, they treat sensitive information regarding the, uh, medical records. And they are a lot very afraid that this data can leak or someone can, uh, like people say, steal that, uh, that data. And they are really afraid that this can damage their reputation, the, the consumer market. So I think those two main concerns are the ones I see empirically here with people and the clients that I'm working with. But uh, another thing that, uh, just to, to complement what uh, Fabricio said, I think we don't have a, a culture here in Brazil, like we see in Europe regarding data protection. The, the common sense the, the majority of the population, they still don't have any idea of the, the, the deep implication uh, regarding civil liberties, civil rights, even democracy, that data protection is directly, directly linked. I don't see that people talking about that in the street. We just, I just see among the academics and some big companies, of course, all big companies, the, the, the consumer technology, telecom companies, they are very aware of the subject, but the main, the, the main population, I, I don't see yet. Yeah, that is absolutely something that applies to many countries around the world that are introducing data protection legislation for the first time. Would you, would you say that it was the GDPR that inspired the Brazilian legislation, or at least also the, the need to have data protection legislation? Or, or was there another reason why did, why this law was introduced in the first place? I think that the main reason here in Brazil was Cambridge Analytica. Even the the the, the news at the time, I think Fabrizio can talk better about this. But in my point of view, in my research, Cambridge Analytica was what watershedding event for us 
because we we were mm -hmm. having an election at the time as well, so we were very concerned. And I think that this was rushed through, this rushed the, all the, the political will to, to pass the legislation uh, regarding data protection. And yes, uh, our law is 110% GDPR inspired. Even in the, if you, <laughs> if you read justification of the bill in the House of Representatives, they mentioned GDPR and they say that that was their inspiration. All the legislators, they openly talk about GDPR as the main inspiration of our law. But it doesn't mean that we copied everything. We have some articles and some subjects in the law that are specific for, for, for us, but our inspiration is, uh, in my point of view, 100, more than 100% GDPR. We adopted that model. Well, uh, can I say some words about it? Because I forgot to mention that I was, uh, I was also the legislative advisor at the Senate at the time of the bill, so I can... Are you I, to blame for it? Yeah, I can, <laughs> uh, I can appoint uh, the reasons, some of them, of course, some, some I can't, so uh, the ones I can, uh, Rodrigo is right. Well, of course, we have a, a huge inspiration on the GDPR, but our legislation, our bill uh, was, was running for the GDPR. So, of course, the first inspiration was the, the Directive 9546. And then uh, when GDPR came in force in 2018, we were already working on the, make all the, the texts most similar in a possible in the possible way we could and we had the we had of course some pressure from some uh, multinational companies in brazil uh, they had a lot of uh, tension in the, the data protection view because of course it, for many reasons one of them is for some sort of uh, to unify the regulatory frameworks they are going to deal with so it's better for them if they deal with gdpr that they could deal with some GDPR-like uh, legislation in Brazil, it would be better for them. So we had this kind of influence uh, uh, in our political process, uh, but we had uh, we had also the Cambridge Analytica situation, Rodrigo mentioned. It was actually something to move to make some movement because the bill was a very freeze situation for some months. And we also had uh, the, the election year. If we didn't approve the bill until July of 2018, uh, we would never ever have uh, data protection legislation in Brazil because it was the last window open for this kind of situation. So uh, we used all this situation to make a huge effort to approve uh, with uh, society and with many companies and uh, organizations representing society as well, uh, and we could do uh, the best, best effort and the last, the best and the last effort possible. So we do have our legislation now because of all this, all this situation. Rodrigo, when you say that the privacy awareness around the general populace is not very high at all, uh, I understand that being here in the United States, we're just now kind of waking up to privacy ourselves. 
Is there a specific, other than Cambridge Analytica, is there a specific event that may have spoken to the Brazilian people that they needed to wake up and pay attention to privacy? Any particular breach that resonated or a use of data in a way that they may not have liked that really resonated with the individual? I don't recall right now one specific event, but what I could say that uh, it's raising awareness daily before coronavirus. I don't know the exact expression, but I think new, new ones call when you're like spam, spam with text messages. That, right. So I think this is something terrible, was something terrible before coronavirus. Every comedian in Brazil would make jokes about that because we, the, the regular Brazilian people would receive like 10 unauthorized calls a day, human calls a day, uh, offering some kind of service or product or annoying calls. And that, that is raised, uh, for me, my point of view, this is, this is a tangible example of the awareness because everybody's complaining and some people even they don't answer any any phone calls otherwise only if, if they know the number if they know that phone contact just because they will assume oh, wow. it's unauthorized call something and that involves data protection at the end of the day so i think right. this this subject is raising daily daily raising awareness for the general population yeah, and I think right now with uh, coronavirus, everybody's talking about cellular phone data to track movement and to track temperature. I think this will be another watershedding event for data protection because people will open their eyes and see oh, that this is our data. A lot of people will agree with that, but what about after that? What will happen after that? So I think now we're living, we're going through this awareness time. Coronavirus is 100% related with data protection, in my point of view. And uh, I think uh, it's starting to improve the awareness for the general public. I know here in Europe, we currently have a pretty big debate in many member states about mobile apps that could be helping to fight the virus or, or monitor contagion of people uh, and then alert people who might have been close to somebody who was contaminated with the virus. Um, so that is a pretty intrusive way of, of tracking. Yeah. Do you see any debates like that going on in Brazil right now? The, the Ministry of Economy, uh, along with the health minister, they already did some public speeches uh, regarding that subject that one of the medium-term plans for the government is to track, test people. And once they are cleared for, for the COVID, they would receive any kind, some kind of paper, or, uh, paper in the figurative way, of course, some kind of allowance, in, maybe in their cell phone, saying that they can return to work. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that the government, at this time, today, they must be at least studying technologies uh, with successful implementation in other countries to, to try to track and deal with the, the situation. So that that's already in place here in the public sphere and also in the private sector as well. 
And that, that's a daily debate in the news. Every, everybody is debating that. So I think uh, that is raising awareness as well. Since I'm a teacher and a lawyer that uh, works with the data protection like Fabrizio, every day now I'm receiving a lot of, sorry, a lot of WhatsApp messages from friends and uh, colleagues uh, with news regarding this kind of subject because they they know that I studied this that I like this and they want to show me look I I saw this this news in the um, in the journal in the newspaper saying that they would start tracking people so I, I think this is what shared event regarding data protection and, and also worldwide not in Brazil but in Brazil I, I see this way and then Fabricio I know you were going to speak to that your perspective on this situation is is a really really challenging situation because we are uh, some people say that the postponement of the bill is going to ruin data protection in Brazil, but I don't think so. I think that's the opposite situation because we are going to have a lot more discussion about privacy, about crisis, about massive use of data of personal data, uh, just like every every everywhere else not just Brazil, so in Europe, uh, in the North America, other countries, South America, Central America, Asia, especially Asia, we're doing what the Chinese government is doing and other Asian government. So I think that this kind of situation is going to help make some awareness about data protection, about the privacy of individuals. But the only problem that the postponing of the bill of the legislation, sorry, uh, in Brazil uh, is going to bring is some extra difficulty organizing the legal system because we already have today some emergency legislation which were brought by our, gov by our government because of the situation, because of the emergency we're facing. And this, this legislation, this legislation, uh, it's opening situation it's authorizing data uh, personal data collection but there is no prediction of uh, what if the purpose is some 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 way changed what if uh, government use this data for other purpose what if some public servant or public employee what if it, what if these servants or employees sell this data or misuse this data what, what, what are the consequences? What, what are my rights as a data subject? We don't have this kind of, of uh, legislation in Brazil. LGPD is supposed to be the legislation to answer all these questions, and we don't have. That's because, that's because of this situation that we created a bill like that, and we approved a bill like that. That's, that's all, all, all due to all this situation in Brazil, that we have an LGPD organized to make to make our legal system more modern about privacy issues, and if we postpone the legislation, we are going to postpone the all the organization of this legal system, all the answers. So I think that the main consequence, negative consequences for citizens in Brazil, is this. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We hear that telecommunication uh, companies, some other companies that deal with deal with a lot of personal data, they're sharing data with government. 
we we know that some judges are actually making some legal efforts to to force this company some of them with some higher standard in privacy and data protection issues they are refusing to share with the government so the government is going to the judiciary branch to the the courts to force them to share data so we already have in this kind of situation in brazil but nobody nobody not even a judge not even the government not even just some companies are actually worried about the post time of pandemic crisis in data protection privacy today we just want to collect and process somehow we have a, a clear purpose today but in a few weeks maybe some months we're going to have some different situation i've heard myself i've heard myself that the government was thinking of not a legislation to take some of this data and to use it for a statistic purpose so they're thinking already changing the purpose the original purpose of processing data so nothing's going to so basically all you need is a strong supervisory authority to keep them in line yeah that's it <laughs> that's i like it. That's it so where is brazil in in terms of preparing the the setup of the data protection authority you mentioned that you have been appointed to or nominated to be part of the data protection council what what will the dpa look like and and when will it when will it be created well that's a, a very good question if rodrigo can answer i will be delighted to hear <laughs> because that's <laughs> that's a very difficult situation as well our bill was approved in august 2018 we had some reform last year in 2019 but the parts of the legislation which regulate the existence of the dpa uh, are already in force since december 2018 so our government uh, ha had almost two years to create dpa and now all their bodies we couldn't we, we didn't see any any effort nobody in our society knows who are going to be the, the commissioners Uh, nobody knows how many people are going to work on our DPA because no, there is no public public servant or employee uh, invited to work on our DPA. So we don't know we don't know the staff going to be part of the staff. We we actually know nothing about it. what I see in the political uh, analysis of the situation is that it's today in Brazil we have a very bad time in the relationship between the executive branch and the legislative branch. Our president, Jair Bolsonaro, inaugurated some sort of uh, a new policy, uh, a new way of making politics in Brazil, but so far it's not, not, going, it's not working so well because we have some other agencies in Brazil uh, responsible for other regulated sectors, And they all—they are all uh, having a lack of directors and commissioners as well. So our legislation, our constitution demands that these these directors, these commissioners, should be approved by the Senate. They need to to be appointed to the Senate, and the Senate needs to approve it, approve them. 
and we have already 30, over 30 names appointed to many agencies waiting in a very long line to be approved in the Senate. And that's happening because uh, the government is not aligned to the president of the Senate. So I think that when our DPA, if it's going to be close to, to exist, our president should appoint some names. And these names are going to be at the end of this long line of appointed uh, authorities. So it's a very difficult situation. Very difficult. I don't know if Rodrigo has something else to say. I think you are the, the best the best one to answer this subject because you are leaving this uh, you are feeding and waiting literally and uh, i agree a hundred percent because we we don't see any political will to 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 do this and i i even see in an opposite way i see a, a not express but a total uh, political will to postpone uh, as much as possible that's the way I see for the executive branch. I do want to ask one last question, and it may be a simple yes and no answer based on what y'all talked about. Here in the United States, we have a problem that a lot of our judges don't understand technology or the privacy implications for technology, which makes it very challenging to use old laws to try to interpret what we should be doing with data. Is that also a problem in Brazil? Do you, do you need to do education of your judges and the people in charge of the laws in order to make sure that they understand the consequences and the far-reaching effects of technology and use of data? I think, yes. The technology is not, not a subject that the majority of the judges know, especially in the high, the high court when you have people with that when they started to work as a judge, there was absolutely no technology in Brazil, the judiciary branch. So it was imposed by, by the time. And I think uh, data protection is still something that we only see some islands. If I can say it like this, we, we know some judges and some people that, that they have the, the knowledge, but lots of them they, they still have, in my point of view, that proprietary uh, view about uh, personal data. They, they, uh, there was a decision uh, last year regarding data protection uh, that the judge said someone could uh, not uh, rent or sell the, the data related to that subject. So it, it, it shows that the, the judge did, don't have any, any kind of uh, knowledge about the subject. And I think we still don't have it mainstream. It's not even a, a subject when the when they when you make the entry exam. The, yeah, the entry exam for the the judges. It's not there yet. It's not mainstream in the judges, and it's very difficult to to implement because we have a very pulverized system in Brazil. Anything to add to that, Fabrizio? But I think that's it. What, what Rodrigo said. We have a lot of problems in Brazil. You can imagine that, if I'm not mistaken, the very first court order blocking WhatsApp was a Brazilian court. So that, that means a lot, I think. Because, wow. yeah, in, in the world, I don't, I'm not sure if it was the first or the only one, but I'm pretty sure it was the first at least. But 
and that was in a criminal uh, procedure uh, in which WhatsApp and, or Facebook were not even part of the procedure. They were just companies with some means of providing some, some ways of evidence. And because of privacy issues, they couldn't share information to the, the, this court. And uh, the court didn't, didn't buy the, the argument and just said, well, if you do not bring me the evidence I'm asking, so I'm going to, to block WhatsApp in Brazil. And they did block WhatsApp. We had we had WhatsApp blocked for some hours, maybe more. Even though, uh, despite this situation, because our Supreme Court uh, overruled all this this kind of court order uh, or decision, but they actually tried to arrest some uh, the vice president of Facebook, I think. I remember when that happened, but had not put the two together with Brazil. I was pulling up. Stories. Yeah, we'll make so, sure that we post links to some of the stories. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You so you can imagine how how much we are not proud of it <laughs> because <laughs> that's that's the situation. Brazil is one is one country which uh, consumes a lot of internet services. We are a very huge consumer market of digital services, but our institutions, I think, they don't understand. The, the importance of the digital services and how they work and how they they help society to to improve to to make other rights even effective. Uh, we can say that democracy in Brazil cannot exist today without digital services because everybody just do that. Our president was elected in a very massive network of citizens dealing with digital life digital opinions and digital uh, politics. So you can imagine what, what, what it means to block uh, WhatsApp or any other services. We had some time before uh, the blocking of uh, YouTube in Brazil because one, one uh, actress was caught on a very intimate moment in the beach. She filed a... In Spain. Yes. And she filed a, a, a procedure, uh, an action. Uh, into the court, demanding YouTube to remove all, just like that. So th th this lawyer of then said, remove everything. They just do that. Remove everything and the, and the judge, okay, I agree. I I'm ordering you to remove everything. <laughs> and YouTube, how can I do that? Because I need to understand the content. I need to, no, you just remove. That's it. <laughs> and then. We don't care how, just do it. Just do it. As you think, yeah, couldn't remove because of obvious situation, and they just blocked YouTube for some hours. It was a long time ago, so that's the kind of situation. And we do have this kind, this sort of, of decisions or decisions in Brazil even today, uh, in any any kind of, of a procedure and family dispute procedure when the ex-wife needs to know if the ex-husband was talking to, to whom he was talking to. So uh, judges are facing the situation to break privacy in many ways and to demand evidence to WhatsApp, Facebook, and a lot of, a lot of, it's just difficult, you know? And the, our legislators, they're worse because they, they think of something really bad and they propose as a bill. So, well, we have 
more education to do. That's uh, that's for sure. But it. luckily, we have two great data protection educators here who can uh, can help the Brazilian population better understand uh, that the privacy needs, the technology needs. Thank you both for being on our show today. We very much appreciate you yes. taking the time to uh, to speak to us. And to all our listeners, if you like our series, please subscribe now in your favorite podcast app. Just find us under Serious Privacy. Hit that subscribe button uh, and then uh, we can see the numbers go up. And it is so exciting for us to, to see these numbers rise week by week. And of course, it's easier for you because then new episodes will automatically end up in your feed. Also, please do tell your friends and colleagues about us. And if you have any questions or suggestions, or if you want to be a guest on the show, or if you can suggest a guest that you would like to listen to, please reach out to us via seriousprivacy at trustark.com or via Twitter at Podcast Privacy. You can easily find Kay uh, and myself on Twitter as well. Kay is Heart of Privacy. I'm Europol B. So reach out to us as well if you have any questions that you would like to raise with us. Thank you for listening to Serious Privacy this week. And until our next episode, goodbye. Bye, y'all. That was Serious Privacy. Hey listeners, looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further. Absolutely. TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI. TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost-effectively. And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software. Because they're... Deep automation streamlines data privacy governance, cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting. TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that, helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance, privacy, and security. Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesis Privacy Management Accountability Framework. If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central, seriously one of my best parts. It uses automation and privacy expertise to understand your requirements, build and manage your privacy program with ease. Oh, I agree. Privacy Central is your go-to to measure your progress toward responsible AI data compliance. Stay ahead with TrustArc's Privacy Central. Visit TrustArc.com now. Ask me a Paul if you have any questions. <laughs>